Amen. I think um, God's got some amazing things in store for you today. I, yesterday, the wife and I and the kids were on our way north, and we started passing all of these cars, all of these kind of collectible, older cars, antique cars, um, 57 Chevys, 68 Shelby Cobras, you name it, right? The classic cars that you're like, oh man, that's really cool. And I know if my modern car ever got in a wreck with one of those chunks of metal on wheels, my car would be obliterated, right? Like, you know that. And so we're traveling up, we're going up, and I got to thinking about something that I never really had ever thought of before, I guess, and and that is those cars really weren't designed to run with ethanol in the gasoline, right? They really weren't designed to run on E10, E15. So like when you see E10, it means that's, that gasoline is 10% ethanol or E15, right? It's 15% ethanol. And so those cars, those old cars weren't designed to run with ethanol in them. Now they can run for a period of time, but over time, that begins to wear on the hoses, the engines, and so on, and they don't function properly. They don't work the way they were supposed to work, and so the engine will give in, the engine will quit, uh, they'll have to replace parts, and so on. And that is a lot. Now, they do run on modern gas because they get new, new hoses, new parts that can run with the ethanol in the gasoline, but... That's a lot like you and I when it comes to our power and our ability to do our jobs. We are designed to run and to operate with a certain amount of gas, you could say, going into our engine to help us run and keep us going. And Now, we all kind of get that to keep us going every morning, right? Well, yeah, most of us, see, most of you got coffee in your hand. Right, you got to have the coffee to keep you going, but that's a physical stimulant. And that's not necessarily an emotional or mental stimulant that keeps you going. That says, "I got to get up and I got to go to work today." What is that gasoline that flows through our engines that emotionally says, fires us up and says, okay, today I'm going to work. Today I'm going to earn a paycheck. Today, as we've talked about before, today I'm going to go into my job and I'm going to bring the characteristics of God into my workplace. And I'm going to be the person that's trustworthy and honorable and I'm going to do my best and I'm going to be here now for this moment for my company because that's what they're paying me for. And as a Christian, that's what I should be doing. What is that emotional gasoline, if you will, that should run through our, the engines of our emotion? Well, without Christ, we're left to likely one of seven or a combination of seven things emotionally that cause us to get up and go to work. They are the seven deadly sins that motivate most people to get up and go to work. I want to read to you something that Dorothy Sayers says in her book, Creed or Chaos, in talking about the seven deadly sins. She says this, Glutton offers a world of dancing, dining, sports, and dashing very fast from 
place to place. Covetousness, greed, rakes us out of bed at an early hour in order that we may put pep and hustle into our business. Envy sets us to gossip and scandals, to writing and cantankerous letters to the paper, and to the unearthing of secrets and scavenging of desks and bins. Wrath provides the argument that the only fitting activity in a world so full of evildoers and evil demons is to curse loudly and insistently. Lust provides, uh, lust provides that round of dreary promiscuity that passes for bodily vigor. But these are all disguises for the empty soul. These are all disguises for the empty soul. You see, our soul was designed to run on something pure. It's not that we can't function and have the seven deadly sins. It's not that they can't be the gasoline in our emotional engine. It's just that over time, it's going to wear you down. And like King Solomon says in Proverbs, initially the sin tastes sweet, but in the end it will make you deathly sick. That initially the sin tastes good and it feels good and it's a good motivator and it keeps me going, but at the end, it's going to wear me down and my engine's not going to be able to keep performing on the job and keep doing because I'm going to self-sabotage or something's going to happen. So without Christ, our motivation for work typically comes from one of the seven sins. Pride says I have to prove myself on the job. I have to prove to my boss that I'm good. I have to prove to my coworkers that I'm just as good as they are. Greed says, well, I'm working for my family to have a bigger house and a nicer car, and I have to, I have to get more for me, or I have to get more for my kids because my kid really wants this for Christmas, and so I have to work the overtime. Greed wears the mask of I'm doing it for my family. Gluttony. I do it for the pleasure. I do it for the pleasure and the sense of gratification that it brings me because, because I want to be able to go out and party this weekend and dance all night. And to do that, I've got to have money. And so gluttony, envy, to have the next big thing. But the people who work out of envy really just view themselves as smaller than everybody else. And they're just working to get the next big thing. They're envious of everybody else, and so they want that thing. Sloth, you know the slothful person, they're playing games while they're on the clock. They're playing games on their phone while they're on the clock. Don't smirk at me because you know it's you, right? Yeah, it's a little in your face this morning, but I think you understand that sloth kind of plays a role in all of us. Anger, getting upset when another employee doesn't do their job. You get mad, you blow up because your boss is taking credit for your work, right? Lust, it shows itself in being overly ambitious on the job. I want more money, uh, more power. I'm lusting for things. Sin becomes the default power for our work without Christ. Sin becomes the default gasoline in the engine of the reason why we work. And it wears multiple masks and disguises itself, right? Like, the devil isn't going to knock on your door. Hi, I'm here. I'm gonna, I, want, I want to give you all this great food for Thanksgiving so you don't have to go out and buy your groceries. The devil isn't going to do that because most of us would be like, no, you keep that. How many of you have ever seen, like, Snow White? You ever seen Snow White? 
Yeah, most of you have, and teenage boys are down here going like, what the? Right? The, the, the witch has to, the queen has to disguise herself like an elderly lady. Because if the evil queen walks up and says, eat the apple, Snow White's smart enough to know that. Satan knows that we're smart enough not to just take it from him and go, oh, the devil gave, he, gave this to me. It must be good. It's great. No, he knows we're smart. Inherently, we're smarter than that. So what's he have to do? He has to disguise our motives so that we go, that's a good reason to get up and go to work. That's a good reason. And what we find is that most good reasons are not godly reasons. And over the years, it begins to clog our engine and, and we get s- slower and we lose our motivation and it's not the same, right? Tim Keller, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, which spurred this series, and I would encourage you to get the book. It's, it's pretty deep, it's pretty thick, and it's very rich. But he says, essentially, the reason that you go to work, that is the work behind the work. He says, the reason you get up and go to work is the work behind the work. I can see my engine running, I can see it work, and I can see it take the car down the road, but the gas and the fuel pump, getting the fuel to the engine is the work behind the work. And so your motivation for getting out of bed is the work behind the work. So how do we get power to work? Where does that power come from? Right? How do we fix the work behind the work? Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to be driven by one of the seven deadly sins to get up and go to work. <laughs> and I don't think you want your pastor up here being driven by sin either, right? You guys didn't answer that. <laughs> should I be concerned? I should be really concerned right now, shouldn't I? No, you don't want to be driven by one of the seven sins to get up and go to work. Right? You want to be driven for the kingdom of God, by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible gives us great instruction on how to have that motivation so that the work behind the work is pure, it's from heaven, and it's not one of the seven deadly sins that's driving us to get up and go to work. The first thing that should fuel us, that should help us get up and go to work is something that I like to call rhythm. There should be a natural rhythm. There should be a natural spiritual rhythm in your life of getting up, getting ready for work, or spending time with God. And your life should not be, oh my gosh, I got to get from here, and then I got to go there, and I have to go here, and I have to go there, and I run around, and I run around, and I allow life to dictate to me. Your life should have a natural rhythm One of the things that we find over and over and over when the early church fathers in writings outside of Scripture and even in Scripture, what we find is that there was a rhythm in their life. They had a rhythm. They knew, okay, my body's getting tired. I need to rest. I need to go spend time with God. And they had a weekly rhythm, and it wasn't just running around with a bunch of to-dos. Living in rhythm was something also means that you're in harmony with it. If you've ever seen like a barbershop quartet or ever seen people who sing and they're in harmony with one another, I have seen some groups sing. Southern Gospel has a lot of this in it. I have seen people 
who sing so well in harmony that at times you don't know whose voices, whose voices, whose. You're like, ooh, wow, that just blends so well. And our life, if we're connected with the Holy Spirit, should be so in rhythm with the Holy Spirit that people look at us and go, I don't know if that's Steve or if that's God. I don't know if that's Jason or if that's God. I don't know if that's Beth or if that's God. There's there's such a rhythm in their life that seems so holy and different from my hustle and bustle of running around that it doesn't make sense. It's part of what the gospel calls being in the world but not of the world. I'm in it, but I'm not really of it. Are you with me? Like... I can be in, I could be in a restaurant, but I'm not of that restaurant, right? Like, I'm not back in there working and taking orders and making the food. I'm not, I'm in the restaurant, but I know that my time is coming and I'm going to leave. I'm getting out because I don't really belong to them. I'm in the world, but I don't really belong to this world. And so my life looks different and the rhythm of my life looks different. And I don't really stress a whole lot of this life. I I have a certain rhythm. I have a certain harmony with something that is not of this world. In 1 John 2.2, it says that he, talking about Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. It says that he is the atoning sacrifice. To atone for something means to pay what it's worth what its value is, that you pay what it's worth, and so you purchase that. Just like when you go to the store and you buy something. The store says, we're going to offer it to you for $5. And so because you value it at $5, you buy it for $5. If you didn't value it for $5, you wouldn't buy it. That's overpriced, I'm not buying it. You don't value it for that. And so... Because you have worth, because you are worth God's only son. Some of you need to hear that. How valuable are you? What is your worth? Enough that God would send his only son to buy you back. Let that sink in for a minute. One of my biggest issues with the Christian church is that we have so long said, I'm not worthy, but I'm saved by grace. That is theologically incorrect. You are worth it. He saw that you were worth it, or he would not have bought you for that. You're worth it. So quit saying, I'm not worthy. You are worthy. The confusion is, is that we confuse worth with what we deserve. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But apparently we're worth it. And so you should walk around with your head held high going, I'm worth it. I'm valuable enough. I'm worth it. I deserve it. I don't deserve it, but I'm, I'm worth it. And the word atone in Middle English, actually, it's two words. A, tone. A, tone. It was the word used for harmony. To be on the same, same wavelength, to be at the same pitch and the same note, to be 
in harmony with. That we, you and I, should be in a harmony with Christ. That's our power. That's our power source. That's what replaces the seven deadly sins is, God, let me be on the same page with you. Not so I can have more money for my family, not so that I can have a nicer car, not so that I can just get a job where I can just sit and play on my phone all day, right? Not, not one of those things. I, I want to be in harmony with you. So when I go to my job, people look at me and go, you're running on some different gasoline than what I'm used to. What, what are you running on, right? So there should be a natural rhythm, in your life, there should be a natural rhythm for your day. Yes, there are going to be days that's more hectic than others. Yes, there's going to be emergencies. Yes, there's going to be, but I'm talking about in your heart, in, in who you are. Do you have a daily rhythm? Do you have a weekly rhythm, a monthly rhythm? And part of that rhythm is really right to the core of the battery, if you will, of our power source. And that is rest. You guys are like, yes, rest. Rest. But rest in a spiritual sense, right? Rest in a spiritual sense. We would call that rest the Sabbath, a day of no work. I'm not doing any work today. It's a Sabbath. It is the intent of recharging the battery. And for the remainder today, I'm going to talk about the Sabbath, what it is, why it matters to your job. But before we do that, we're going to look at the Sabbath from Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, Moses writes, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He says, first off, remember that you were slaves. Remember where you came from. Therefore... The Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. He tells the Israelites, he goes, listen, you were slaves, you were beat, you were mistreated, you had no control over things. Therefore, because of that, and because I've freed you of that, Sabbath. The Sabbath was a reminder of where they had been. The Sabbath was, was to be a reminder you are to remember, the, God, God says, remember how I brought you out of bondage. Remember how I brought you out of, of slavery. In Exodus 23, verse 32, we are to celebrate Sabbath because we are free. We are no longer slaves. They, they were no longer slaves, so they were to celebrate on the Sabbath. They were to celebrate their freedom. Now, just to give you a little bit of Levitical law, and the way the Jewish culture operated, they were to rest every seventh day. So in Jewish culture, their Sabbath, their day of rest of no work, is Saturday. No work on Saturday. Now for us, we have in our culture made it Sunday, the day of no work. But every seventh day is rest. And it's more than just rest, but I don't want to steal my own thunder here in a few minutes. So you have a day of rest, of no work, to rest every seven days. But then there was something else that was a part of their culture. Every seventh year, every seven years, nobody did any work. Nobody went to work. No work. 
you have an entire year with no work of your typical nine to five job. Yes, you had to mow your yard. Yes, you had to do other things, but you would have seven years of no, every seventh year you took the year off. Anybody down with that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like some people got two hands up. Like, yes! But here's what that meant. You say, oh, yes. But here's what that forced you to do the other six years. You had to be a steward of your money, a steward of your time, because you knew that in seven years, you were going to have an income. And so you had to manage your money properly and save up for that extra year. So farmers had to save for that extra year. They had to prepare for that extra year that they were going to have off. It forced in their culture stewardship like no other. Oh, sure, they got to rest, but they also had to be very wise with their money. They had to be very wise with what they were doing. Now, did that make the nation of Israel as productive as the other countries around them? Nope. Did it make them more economically sound? Not necessarily. Did it make them less profitable? Yep. Did it mean that they could not identify with their jobs? They would not say, well, I, I am a mechanic and I am. And it, did, it, did, it allow, did it allow them to tie their identity to what they do, not who they are? It did not. It, it did not allow them to tie what they did to who, to who they are. It kept it separated, right? But while in the short run, in the short run, they may not have been as profitable. In the short run, they may not have been as economically sound. In the long run, for their nation, in the long run, they were more profitable, more economic, more sustained. They had a better sense of who they were than the countries who worked all the time nonstop because they had a rhythm, and in that rhythm was rest. And they said, yes, in the short run, we're not as profitable, and in the short run, we're not as productive. But in the long run, 400 years from now, we're every bit, if not more productive, more profitable in the long run of things. And here's what I can tell you about life. Life is not a sprint. Life is a marathon. And if you want to get to the end of your life being more productive and more economical and having a life that is rich and full, you've got to have rest. You've got to have a Sabbath in your life that says, no work this day. Everybody take off work. Does that mean in the short run that your paycheck every week or every two weeks is going to be less than the next guy's? Yes. But it also means your life is more even keeled. And in the long run, that forces you to be a better manager and a better steward of your finances and of your time than the guy who's just constantly got it coming in and running like a hamster in a wheel. You see, God's laws, God's ideas have kind of a secondary effect, if you will, than what the actual law says. There's a, there's a secondary effect. There's a secondary purpose. Do you think those marriages are healthy, healthier with rest built into them? Yep. Do you think those... Families are stronger with rest built into them? Yep. So in the long run of things, God's laws and God's plans set things in motion for us. But unfortunately, if I'm working out of greed or pride or envy or lust, then I'm going to keep working. I've got to one-up the next guy. I've got to have a bigger paycheck. I've got to have a nicer house. And so I'm going to keep working, and I'm not going to take a break. And I'll take a vacation. Okay, let's go. 
That's why it's so important that we have this rest, that in our rhythm is rest. And so he says, Jewish nation, on your Sabbath, celebrate that you are free from slavery. Celebrate that. Celebrate that. Now, in an interesting twist, Paul writes to the church at Rome, and in Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, he writes to the Christians in Rome, and he says this, We know that the person we used to be was crucified with him and put an end to sin in our bodies. Because of this, we are no longer slaves to sin. The person who has died has been freed from sin. So he's talking about Christ, and he's saying, listen, Christ came. Christ died for your sin. And when he died, was buried and came back, when you accept that and when you believe in that and you line your life up with that, you are no longer slaves to sin. What sin? Greed, pride, lust, envy, slothfulness. You're no longer slave to that anymore. So when you go to work, you're not, you're not working with that as the gas running through your engine to do your work. You're free from that. And so now as free people who are, who are freed from our own selfish desires and our selfish motives, Sabbath now becomes for us, like it was for the people of Israel, a time to celebrate, to be excited that we are no longer slaves. We are no longer driven by these things that really aren't pure. We're free from that. So the Sabbath becomes a time to come together and to celebrate our freedom. That's what church is. It's a bunch of people celebrating freedom because they have a rhythm in their life and they're working from a pure standpoint. They're not running the rat rat race like everybody else is. They're not running like that because they found a rhythm and in that rhythm they found the Sabbath. A time to rest and a time to celebrate. You're not slaves to sin. Tim Keller, again, in his book, Every Good Endeavor, says, The Sabbath is an emancipation from slavery. The Sabbath is an emancipation from your slavery. Slavery to what? Slavery to yourself. Slavery from the things that have held you back, that have held you down, that have kept you going to work, and in the end, that thing ends up destroying your marriage or destroying your parenthood, or destroying you. That thing that in the end would wreck you. And God says, whoa, that's not the work behind the work, not for my people. My people are free from that. My people are free to go declare my kingdom. My people are free to go and and have a rhythm in the Holy Spirit so that when God speaks to them on the job and gives them an idea, they can go with it. And they're not worried about if their boss fires them because they had a great idea. And they're not worried about if their boss takes the idea and their boss runs with it because they know I'm the provider. I'm the fuel. And as long as they have me, if they get fired, I'll get them another job. I'll provide something else. It doesn't matter. Now, I know if you run a business, that could be scary. Because you got a Christian in there who's really working for God. Now, if you call yourself a Christian and you're working for God, that doesn't mean that if you're reading your Bible on your half-hour break, that you say, well, I'm reading my Bible, and so I'm going to read for another 15 minutes and take an extra 15 minutes on my break because I really work for God. No. 
That's not even biblical. You've got a half hour, use your half hour. Now, if you choose to go out in your car and read your Bible, then so be it. Right? I mean, we're to be honest and, and working to honor those and respect those in authority over us and honor the rules of the company and so on. But it means that as much as I care for my company and I care for those around me and I care for my boss, if they start to trample on me, I realize that they're not my source. And because I'm not working from a stance of one of the seven deadly sins, I'm working for the Holy Spirit. And the real power source for my job is taking this day of rest and having a rhythm in my, rhythm, having a rhythm in my life. I'm not going to stress this because my real hope and my real faith and my real trust is in him, not this. Because I'm in it, but I'm not of it. Are you with me? That's, that's who we are. That, that's what... You are. So the Sabbath for us is an emancipation from slavery. There's something the world will never get. The people outside the church will never get it because they keep working for themselves. You guys are really quiet this morning. So, what did the true Sabbath really contain? The true Sabbath really contained two things. And it's really important that your Sabbath contains these two things. Some people think that the Sabbath is just a day off and I don't, I don't do any work. I think we get that part. But the Sabbath contains two things on your day off. The first thing that it contained, as God commands throughout all of Scripture, is worshiping God with other people, coming together and worshiping God with other people. As Tim Keller would say, it's an emancipation from your slavery. Right? We worship God together. We celebrate together. We encourage one another. We get together and we lift God up. That's one part of the Sabbath. The second part of the Sabbath is you should be doing something. Notice I said you're doing something, right? You're doing something that rejuvenates your soul, that rejuvenates your energy for the coming work week. You're doing something that says, man, that was fun. I enjoyed that. Right? So what is it for you? Is it sitting at home with hot chocolate and a book and a blanket? And that really rejuvenates you? That's your Sabbath. Is it playing with your kids outside? That's part of your Sabbath. Is it boating on the lake? That's part of your Sabbath. Right? Whatever it is, maybe it's music, right? Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's it's coming together, worshiping God, thanking God, celebrating together, and then going out and doing something that rejuvenates our souls. It says, man, I feel good. Right? So when you see me on social media, and I'm out hiking in the middle of nowhere where I have no cell phone reception, and it's just, you know, whatever happens out there happens, usually pretty much nothing, other than I get really cold or really hot because of the weather, or I get wet. It's rejuvenating. Lynn will tell you, when I come back for the next week, I'm like a different person. She's like, what in the world? Like, I'm totally exhausted. My body aches. I'm sore. I'm tired. But man, I got energy. Why? My soul has been rejuvenated. What rejuvenates? Sounds like boating's out for today, by the way. What <laughs> rejuvenates your soul? Now, yes, coming together and singing and worshiping God should rejuvenate your soul. But there are other things that you are to do. 
That's part of the Sabbath. In fact, 1 Timothy 6.17 says, Command those who are rich among you not to be arrogant nor put their trust in wealth, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Put your trust in God who richly provides everything for your enjoyment. He didn't say being rich was wrong. He said command those who are rich not to be arrogant in their wealth and don't put their hope there. He goes, and teach people that God provides everything for your enjoyment. Right? God loves you. God wants you to enjoy things. So today I want to encourage you to what, what, what rejuvenates your soul on your Sabbath, on your day off? What do you enjoy? If it's napping, then nap. Okay? Some of you, you're like, oh, thank the Lord the pastor said I could nap. Right? But if it's going outside and tending your garden, then go tend your garden. What rejuvenates your soul? What do you enjoy doing? Those are the two things for Sabbath. Coming together, worshiping, praising God, and then going out and finding something to do for the day that just rejuvenates and you enjoy doing. Right? Go do it. And then Jesus says this. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, take my yoke. Now, a yoke was something that you'd put across. It was like a wooden, kind of W-shaped wooden bar that you put across the neck of an ox. And guess what that did? That kept the ox in harmony with one another to pull. You will be yoked to something in this life. You will chain yourself to something in this life. Jesus didn't say, cast off the yoke and then go run free. He goes, no, take my yoke. Because look, we're all going to yoke. We're all going to tie ourselves to something. Take mine. Why? Because Jesus is the only boss that you will ever have that, know, that knows not to give you too much or too little. He knows exactly what you can handle. And he goes, take it. It's easy. It's like Jesus, as the gentle shepherd says, follow me. Trust me. Tie yourself to me. Trust your life to me. And of all of the things that we could tie ourselves to, Jesus is the one thing that'll pick us up when we're down and say, hey, hey, you're climbing a little too high. Come back down and keep us on the right path. A Christian is somebody who trusts, obeys, and emulates Jesus. But a Christian is also someone who rests in Jesus. Why? Because the saving work for salvation is done. Now he says, you just come. Trust me with everything. Come work for me in my kingdom. Let the Holy Spirit empower you. Find your rhythm. Find your Sabbath. Relax. Rejuvenate your soul. And go out and do it for me. Don't worry about if the company shuts down. Don't worry about if you get promoted. Most of us aren't worried about that. But you know what happens when you get promoted? You get more responsibility. You get more power. When you get promoted, they're not paying you for additional money for the position. They're paying you the additional money because they think you can handle the stress. 
They think you can handle the stress of the additional responsibility. They think you can make the right decision to handle the responsibility. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, find your rest. Find your rhythm. Work this week, work this next month to find your rest, to find your rhythm. Find the Sabbath, worship God together, and then go out and do something that rejuvenates your soul. So that when tomorrow morning wakes up, you can look back and go, man, I had a great time. I can't wait for this weekend. I'm going to go in and show the love of Christ and take the character of God to my workplace and be Jesus and trust Jesus to lead and guide me in my work. Let's stand up. I want to encourage you today that if you're here and maybe, just maybe, You've never yoked yourself to Jesus. You've never tied yourself to Jesus. Maybe it's time to do that. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to just examine your heart. Why are you going to work tomorrow morning? I got bills to pay. No, 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 no. Why are you going to work? Is it so that you can bring the character and love of God? Now the next question is this. What motivates you to go to work? What's motivating you? Is it pride to prove to try to prove yourself? Some of us grew up with dads that made us prove it, prove it, prove it. I can tell you your heavenly father is not like that. That's not a godly characteristic. God says, you don't have to prove a thing. I love you. You don't have to go to work and prove yourself. You don't have to go to work to try to make more money so that you can have a nicer car or a bigger house for your kids. Those are all the wrong reasons. Examine, what's the work behind your work? What's the fuel that's going into your engine that causes you to go to work? God provides the right fuel. And if you're here this morning and you've never connected with Christ and you've never made him Lord of your life and you've not tied yourself to Jesus, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you and you're here this morning, I want you to raise your hand. You've not accepted Christ. You've not invited Jesus into your life to say, God, I want to work for you. I want you to be the fuel in my engine. I want you just to raise your hand. And here's what I'm going to do this morning. As the band continues to play, I'm just going to give you the next few moments for you to pray to your Heavenly Father. Just you and God, whatever it is, Lay it at his feet.
Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence in this place. I thank you that as we walk out of this place and we leave here today, that we're going to walk out with new fuel in our tanks for work. Now, Lord, we're going to examine our lives and we're going to find the rhythm in our day. We're going to find you there. We're going to get up out of bed tomorrow morning to find you waiting on us. And we can go into our jobs tomorrow with you sitting beside us or standing beside us as we do our job. Lord, we thank you that if all the power to create the universe and all the power to redeem our souls is available to us on our jobs, to do our jobs, to show you to a lost and dying world. But Lord, we won't go to work driven by one of the seven deadly sins, but we will go to work fully rested in you with a soul that's rejuvenated, with a new battery for power in our engine to turn us over and get us going. We can be excited about you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. You guys have an amazing week. We love you. We'll see you back next week as we close the series out.